Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And this is part two of the home setting series. I guess you could say that it's just so different from what I usually do on this channel. But I'm excited just to talk about something that's pa that I'm passionate about. I am not an expert. I don't homestead currently either. And that's why it is, like I said in the last episode. So if you're listening to this first, go jump to the other one, listen to that one first. But in case you're new to this, I am not an expert and I am only explaining, explaining this because I feel like there's a lot of power of taking you on this journey with me a little bit and helping, having you learn what I learn while I'm in it. So I hope to be homesteading this summer and getting into our lot and to be building our manufactured home. And this can still all apply and help you understand principles if you decide to buy an actual existing homestead or farm, whether it be you know, down to one acre all the way up to 200 acres. So with that being said, this has just been so much work. I've learned a lot in this research I've done and it's, I want to share. So I just thought I should, and I felt like I needed to, but if you have anything to say, please be polite and kind in the comments. This is also on YouTube for those that are listening on the podcast and I'm just not an expert. So some things I may say may not be totally correct, but I'm trying to give my best. I'm not going to, of course, go up and down with all my research. That would take all day. But I, I have gathered information that should be helpful for you. And it's helping you understand what you want because really half the battle is really figuring out what you want. And I realized that quickly when I started this journey that I had the desire to live a simpler life and I wanted to be away from the busyness of this of this world right now that we're in, but I just didn't know what I wanted quite yet. And really having a solid, firm feeling of what it would be that I want to want to do so that I can be a good steward over it. Cause I don't want to get into, you know, eight acre farmhouse when I realized I actually wanted to do five acres or, and I wanted to not have a, a, house that was this style or whatever and having the irrigation shares are going to help me be able to make it green so when I look out onto my property it's actually going to be green rather than somewhere that's more um, deserted which that has its beauty too so whatever it is that you're looking for I'm also trying to help you understand some of this logistics I'm getting it done but helping you understand and seeing all these terms I'm throwing out that may you not may not hear very often that you may know, okay, I actually am curious about that. I want, I may want that. And that is just part of the battle, figuring out what we want. So last time I ended with the idea of permaculture and just helping you um, figure out, of course, it's like playing house in a grand, you know, real scale, um, what you really want on your homestead. And I've actually done this. I've gotten a piece of paper and I've just sketched out, oh, it'd be so fun to put my little house here, put my coop right next to it so I can get to the eggs quickly. And then the, the table garden, of course, but then zone two, which they talk about in permaculture, there's zone one, zone two, zone three, that zone one is your house and that table garden, the coop zone two is a little bit further out where, but not a whole, whole pastures, pastures out, but it's where you can access the barn and all the other things. And then, you know, where the pastures are zone three. Um, I'm not an expert, but that's from when I, I started reading this permaculture book and that's kind of what they were talking about. So I thought that's interesting. I want to learn more and help me understand how I can do this right. And the spirit will guide you. If you put in your effort, he will guide you and help you. And if this is just only a dream that will have to come later for those listening into that, you can refer back to this later, or it's getting your brain working on it now, right? And it will come. I feel like that law of attraction will work for you. As you start seeking out that you want to do this, there'll be more things that pop up. And um, this is going to be interesting to go in today. We're going to be talking about irrigation, um, about water in general that you'll probably need and what to look out for. And I have some new information on that with talking to the Utah Division of Water Rights and had some really good clarity on that. Actually talking to a person, understanding what it's going to take to what I really need to be look, looking out for. So I'm not just hoping for the best. So I'll be talking some about that, um, the water rights between water rights and water shares, pressurized or not. But 
Um, other things to consider is also what I'm, I'm going to be talking about, just this general category of other things that you should keep in mind. As I've, I, There's no rhyme or reason. I've just put it in this category of knowing it's just things that I've stumbled across that I didn't realize were you know, what I need to remember and think about. (laughs) And let's see, this third thing we'll be talking about is our house. So of course, like I said, this can be for those that are getting an existing farmhouse and property, and that's going to be great. And there's going to be some great existing things there already. For me, what I've explained before, I want to do my own. I want to have that level of fulfillment, knowing I cultivated the land. I was the mastermind getting this all done and it's mine and it's fun. And Partly because if this is going to be our forever home, I really want it to feel like it was mine from the beginning, not someone else's. Sometimes it feels that way when you go into another house, that it wasn't exactly the layout you wanted. And even with manufactured homes, I can still figure out a layout I want because they're just hundreds of layouts. I'm going to be happy with one of them rather than trying to custom build. Of course, that would be awesome, but I don't feel like I need that and I don't need to be that fussy and that broad and extravagant I I, and if you want to that's great too but for me with the budget I have that's what I'm gonna be doing but I'll be talking about custom build manufactured homes and just anything else the pros and cons with all three of those but lastly I will be talking about budgeting and adding in some numbers so you have an idea but this is all ish numbers like I've said before so be prepared that these may just be not towards you, not working for your area, not working for when you listen to this down the road, or that I just got those numbers completely off. It's from what I've gathered when I talked to the guy who does the foundation and who, when I get the quote of what it will generally be for a well drill. So keep, keep that in mind and be kind to me <laughs> as I, as I work through this. I'm all hoping to help you get a grasp around what you're going to need to do. So let's jump in to irrigation. So I think I said this before, but water is in a very, is a very emotionally charged subject. (laughs) It is, I think the number one thing when it comes to what is most important is utility with utilities. I had said that, that of course with power, but power can be doable. Water, you just can't make it. You you can get water. (laughs) You, You of course can do solar and go off grid, but you can't just make water. Like even if you drill down and it's just nothing there, that can sometimes happen. But especially here in Utah, it's it's harder to come by. It's dry. We're we're in a drought. However, we did have a great year this year with water. And in my opinion, I feel like this is the last great year before we start hitting some really rough years with the second coming. I feel like there were seven years of plenty starting in. 2017 with the eclipse and that ends this next year with 2024 that we're going to have some seven years of hard um before um not necessarily before that's when I know when the second coming will be but I think um there's something to be said about maybe something happening in around that time um but this is just my research and this isn't anything to do with homesteading only for the fact it's part of my motivation I'm a little bit of a prepper in my in myself and I'm trying to make decisions that will help me understand this if it doesn't come will I still be happy with decisions I make as far as where I want to be and um or if it's later on I'm just trying to make my best decisions in the present moment that I have um and trying to stick with some of my values I have and you may have some of those values too that you just know that in order to be away from some of the craziness um it may mean that you go out to a place where it's quieter, the community's smaller, and maybe that community can be a little bit more congealed together because you rely on each other more when you're out there. And to a sense, you 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 want to learn and they want to teach um, because you are going to be beginning and they've learned over time or they, they have the empathy. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I'm hoping for. The community is a huge part of what I explained about with the why of homesteading. So with irrigation, there's going to be two things, like I said, water rights and water shares, and they're both different. So start with water rights. Water rights are where you have a right to use the water underneath the ground. And a lot of homes need half to an acre 
worth of water right, they call it an acre water, an acre worth of water right from underground and in order to have enough for your daily domestic living in your small gardens and to even water your animals, not necessarily to grow crop for your pasture. That's not going to be what this water right is for for that well you'll need a right to have a to drill a well you have to have that proof and that um it has to be notarized as i was talking with to the people of the utah division of water rights and there's a whole process with that but it's also can it could be for the underneath right or a right can also be where it's a stream or a lake nearby and you are allowed to divert that water to be for your for growing crop or for being for your domestic most of the time at that point it's going to be for growing crop because it's not as clean and what well water of course what for when you have a water right and you can then do a well that water is going to be quite amazing water most of the time in the sense that it's not um all those minerals aren't taken out like it is when it is culinary water and it is cleaned out and it's also added the chlorine and fluoride and all this stuff I'm not as picky I'm not so dicey with it I water is water I'm just grateful to have it but of course it would be really great and I just think if things were going to go um south for I think in my opinion I feel like at some point we're going to go through a massive drought and have some famine um and it would be very helpful to have my own water source and not have it be, I wouldn't have to be strapped to um, a city or my town to provide me that water. But it doesn't necessarily keep me from maybe buying a lot that has culinary, a culinary water hookup possibility. And that would just be silly for me to have. There's a possibility there's a culinary water hookup that could be just right there. Like I've said before, $2,500 to hook up. But then to still ignore that and still drill a well, right? They're part of that value of that property is probably because there's some infrastructure in place that may, makes that lot a little bit higher in price so that because I can have a water hookup. So, so that in mind, I had a little helper come and say hi, but let's get back into things. <laughs> so um, what I was saying is, yeah, just generally, it would be really great to have access to that underground water when everything's happening, maybe. Maybe, you know. I I don't predict the future. I don't know. I just feel like if things are going to get harder, that's got to be one of the things that will happen is that there's going to be a famine. Thus, why would they, oh, they would have, all the prophets would be warning us about having food storage. Um, and it's said in the scriptures and revelations talking about a famine, but that is just a little bit more in the weeds of things. Um, you're here to learn about some logistics, but you'll need a half acre to one acre's worth of water rate. Let me explain this though. When you buy a lot, you'll need to be careful on the verbiage and do your due diligence. This is what I learned from the Utah division of water rates when I called them. A lot of times the people in these in the descriptions of lots will say there is a water right that we can give you. Like you you can have this water right. It come this purchase will come with a water right, an underground water right. However, that might be just in the mix of a farmer's portfolio of a bunch of water rights and water shares that he may have. And he's going to give you one of those and it would be transferred over to you, but the process of getting that water share to be latched on to that particular lot address will take about five to six months with the process of the paperwork with the Utah Water Division. And they said, and bear with me, I think it's a little silly. I don't know all the details, but it has a little bit of a public sector to it where they have to make it go public that they're going to now divert the water from that that wherever that farmer had his water right be that he's he's now giving up and giving it to you it's going to be diverted to this area now your particular property so to that point it then goes to the local papers and online to be distributed if everyone wants to or not and then to the court 
just you don't have to do court stuff. I think they do a lot of that. It just has to sit and be a working um, thing for about five or six month, months before it becomes um, a right that is particular to your lot. So that's really helpful. Okay, more helpers, but that's okay. Um, my husband is sick, so I'm kind of having to have them do their thing because he's not feeling good. I can't have him totally watch the kids right now, but my kids are trying to do their own thing. They just don't know how to for a little bit sometimes. But what I was saying, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's kind of hard to dice up right now what I was saying when I take a break, but I think it was along the lines of what I said, if this parcel needs to have the right allotted to it and have it be legal and notarized for that particular area. So let me paint this picture for you too in a way that you, this process will take five to six months and a lot of well drillers, and I talked to a well driller yesterday, actually, he was the nicest guy and that's what I'm really looking forward to are just these nice people, just down to earth, humble people. And he was so sweet and of course, if he wants my business, but I didn't get that sense of like, oh, he's a sweet talk me. He was just being normal. And if you know who they are, it's Brotherson Drilling in San Pete County. Anyway, he had said that they're about six months out. And of course, it could go sooner because if some, if someone's on the waiting list and they can, and they're not ready, they can just bypass them and go on to the next person. So, and with that being said, and I asked him if you can have that paperwork going parallel with being on the wait list for him. And he said, yes, that's totally what people have done. And, um, of course I'll explain more of what he said with the pricing in a little bit, but that's, it's, there will be some times where there, where there will be lots that are and it, they'll they'll say it and they'll explain it to you if you ask and make sure you're asking the right questions that sometimes they have already gone through the legwork to have that actual water right particular for that parcel, especially if it's being um, parceled off. I mean, partly of what some of these um, farmers want to do and people that do subdivisions, at least maybe a subdivision of homesteading places where everyone has five to ten acres each that they could get more value if they do that legwork of getting the share the water share or sorry the water right to each of one of those however then you're still stuck with the process of waiting the five six months whatever for the well drill it depends on where you are though I mean sometimes it could go faster it could go um slower um but that's what I found so Right now, I'm just trying to make sure I know my details on that. Now let's go into water shares. So water shares come in one to 100. You can own just, or whatever, even more, especially if you're farming crop. Um, but this is where a certain amount of water per share that will water X amount of acres. Does that make sense? Let me go back. So let's, and let's do it in a, an example. Let's say you have... Like I've said before, I think three or four water shares. Maybe you can water three or four acres. I'm not saying it's that easy. That's one for one. Um, because these are owned by a local water company, these shares. So you are just, part, you're a shareholder. You don't own the water. And sometimes maybe if there are years that come, you may not get all those, all the, all that water that you want because there's a drought. And that's a bummer, but that's just what it is. <laughs> um, or it can be, and it can be given to you through a pipe or, or a ditch is most, is most common. Um, um, but each water company will have different amounts of water per share. From what I was gathering, I thought it's just all the same, but it's not. Of course, I don't know what I was thinking. I, they're all going to have their specific amount of water that goes per share. Um, and a lot of times it's one acre per one share so but don't totally take my word for it and it's hard to buy these shares they're not just up for grabs they they're they're locked in in all the different properties around there and that local area people have had them probably for decades and the best and only way to get them and is to get them as you buy land and they a lot of times these shares just stick with land or um like i was saying earlier there may be a farmer like 
for example, there's my realtors working with, with a farmer that has 800 acres and he wants to parcel off 200, but in his portfolio, he has X amount of shares and he's probably just always had them. And it's always been in the family and he's going to take some of those shares and then put it towards those acres, but he's not going to just sell those, those lots and then somewhere else try to sell his shares. Cause it is, it's a lot of value in that to have it attached to a parcel and it becomes very attractive to me as a buyer to want to have that. So, um, and where I'm looking, sometimes they are sold, but they're only sold with the lot. If you're buying a lot, then they'll sell the shares unless whether they put it into the purchase price of the lot or you buy them separately and they could be 25 to $3,000 each or more. Um, but that was one, that was a ballpark that I had gotten from someone. And it's, it may be fine if you have a five acre homestead, you won't need five acres of water share because you're going to need some area just to, honestly, I, I, as I've explained it earlier, your house, your coops, your barn, your, just your driveway. I also like just a dump area of just putting all the random things I'd like to. It's not like I'm going to be dumping my trash over there, but just a ra- random area where I can have a Connex and anything I want <laughs> just to be randomly there. But you're you're just not going to be watering every square inch of your lot. So just keep that in mind and where you will be living and what part you will really need water. And the pasture area will need to ha- is mainly the area you will need that water for, for the animals to graze, have them graze and maybe grow some crop on. And also, like I said, so you can see the green and that's important with irrigation. So I'm thinking about doing rotational grazing and that bit might be, um, helpful for some of the acre, for some of the homesteads that are pushing the envelope with how much they have on it, because you're able to still give the land a break. If you, if you're smart about it, you can maybe have your max amount of animals on there or maybe a little bit more if you um, do it right and make sure you rotationally graze where you're giving this, um, what do they call them, pasture, I forget what they call them, but um, paddock. You give your paddock, that little division of your um, pasture that you've divided that one a break for 30 days and you let it grow wild and free and it's going to be great for them to go back on in a month. But you're in the other one, you're going to be doing... You're going to be doing um, them over there for the month. And um, you just need to give the land a break. Be good to it. And also keep in mind with irrigation, sometimes it will be pressurized and sometimes it won't. And from what I was talking with my real estate agent, there's quite a few companies that are pressurizing the water. Um, But just be aware of maybe sometimes it won't. So... That is irrigation. Kind of exciting. Let's go on into other things to consider when you're buying your lot and just trying to have a good idea overall Um, and and what you want and need to figure out for yourself what you really do want and need because that's half the battle. And that is location, of course. You probably heard that a lot. But with homesteads, you just think, oh, I'm just going to be out in the middle of nowhere. No, you're probably going to still be near roads and still have neighbors that you'll have to take in consideration of, do I want to be that close to someone? And even an acre away might be too close for someone. It depends on what you want. Um, also, the roads, knowing how what, what it's like in that area, getting to know that area that you're looking at. And that's why a lot of people in the homestead, they actually rent where they're going to be homesteading. They really love the area. They go find a place to rent out there, which is kind of tricky to find a place to rent. This is what my in-laws did as they rented before they finally were able, I think they bought their land actually, and they rented and they were able to kind of figure things out as they went. But they, I think the best way would be to rent before you buy. But um, it is, they said it was harder to find a place to rent, but it's a possibility. Um, terrain around you is also a big thing. That's one why reason why I've kind of shied away some other counties like Emory County or Carbon County. I wouldn't mind it, like I've said, especially even Millard County, which is Delta. Carbon is where Price is, and um, I don't I don't think it's ugly necessarily. I like a lot of dry and open. I'm from Arizona, so I'm used to that. The dry, open, more dirt. 
Whereas my husband, he's thinking this is going to be ugly. And even when I talk with my realtor, I could tell he likes more of the green and he's always trying to help me find more of the green area. But I'm, I'm trying to find a balance. You could definitely get a better price if you're in those areas where it's not, it, it's not as beautiful around. It's not as much green to look at. Maybe not as farmed, especially a lot of times they'll just, if there are a lot of farms around you, so it's going to be really pretty to see in the, in the um, summer. Also, another, um, another part of this is sound. I had heard from one gal I talked to down in Richfield area. She said that there's this particular lot that would not be sold because the way that the cars turned around a corner further up the road onto a canyon area, all that sound went straight to that area down below. And it was really loud. So all those really loud trucks, it just became really loud. It wasn't peaceful. So it was hard for them to sell it. I think plus it was kind of a... Of kind of a flood area, so we'll talk about that. But one part will be if the soil is good or bad. That's a, you know, most soil is good, but I don't. I'm not one to. I'm not an expert on this. Just looking into knowing what your soil is like there. That's going to be, you know, that's your life. It's. It, I think about that Dixie Tick Chick song, song, "Cowboy Take Me Away," and she wants to feel the earth. She wants. She wants to crumble in her hands. She wants to grow something wild and unruly. And if it's everything, having that good soil there right in your hand that's yours is really powerful. So next we'll be thinking about your water table. Is it too high? And there was, I think, a lot I looked at in southern Idaho one time that the water table was too high. And that's why it's not getting sold as quickly. And it has been around for a while, even though that, that little town has been well loved and people have been there for a long time. You'd think it would get sold off, but it hasn't as well because when it's too high, you're going to get poopy water if you have a well because <laughs> you don't want your septic field after it's done doing its thing in the tank and all the microorganisms working on it then sends it out into the ground somewhere else. That's going to be called your septic field and you don't want your field to cross over with your aquifer that you're accessing with your well right so they call that a percolation test I know the percolation test has other things too that will tell you about your soil what you need but that is a necessary thing that you have to get done before um, you get a septic and I would say even just getting it done before you buy the lot but then I don't know how much it is so that may be hard if you're like I don't really want to spend $500 on a test if I'm not having even actually bought it but you could maybe have it be a contingency within buying the, the lot that they get that done to see what it's like or ask them about that in general. Sometimes they're done on the lots. Also, let's talk about easement. So easement is where you have a way to get to your lot. Sometimes you have to cross other people's lots in order to get to yours. So within the writing of buying it, there would be this clause in there saying that you have the right to access and using this particular area to access where you need to be. Um, and that's not always too fun because you feel like you're kind of intruding on someone's area and it's just nice. You're finally wanting it all to be yours. That's at least how I feel. There's this one lot that I really like in Spring City. I think it's actually still up for sale and it's been up for sale because it has a not very fun easement to get to it. It used to be more pasture and area that they're just selling off off of the side of their house. And they're, hope, and they're also wanting to sell it with the house and that land that's around that house plus that. But it just wouldn't not be very fun. Very fun. I, had, I could see into their windows. It was just so encroaching. So knowing how you if there's an easement there, sometimes that can be tricky. And snow removal is part of that area that you're going to need to get to your lot, getting to your home. And a lot of times um, it's nice that the snow is already removed when you're on a county road because they're, they, plow that, they plow those. But if you're further down and you made your own driveway, you're going to have to be able to plow that yourself. So I'm fully aware that I may need to somehow have some sort of plowing ATV or something <laughs> at some point. Um, I don't want it to be too far off a road, but you're going to need a little bit of you know, space off a road if you want a little bit more privacy and um, safety, at least for my little kiddos. My youngest is four and a half. So 
Also consider, as far as this um, miscellaneous category, consider the lot shape, right? There's, it's really great to just have a nice square or rectangle, right? But they're not always going to be that way. And sometimes they're going to have hills and go on these big little mountain areas if you're going somewhere that is more like that. I love, and I've already said this, I just want the flat as flat can be. That's what I'm wanting. Now I'm getting that picky when I see things come up. I'm just disregarding it. It's not worth my time to even play with it because I just know it won't make me happy. So, um, but I have stumbled across really flat lots that they're still not quite um, rectangle or square. I have this one that looks kind of like a L. It's a little bit of an L, so it's kind of a weird, weirder situation, but it's at a good price, and I'm thinking about going out and visiting it. It's out by um, price right now, so I need to see if I can make that a point to go visit and see and just get an idea. If anything, I'm just learning more things as I meet up with the realtor there and see, but Next is zoning, knowing, so this can take some time to talk about. There's going to be um, three different parts of zoning. I'm not an expert, but there's recreational zoning, agricultural zoning, and residential zoning, right? Probably where you're living now is residential. I live in residential. And of course, it's commercial, but we don't need to talk about that because that's not what we're dealing with. But a lot of these... Um, a lot of these lots will either be agricultural or recreational. And sometimes they're used interchangeably, and it just depends. Um, I was finding that to be the case in Idaho um, when I searched a few things. But especially, they call it res recreational because you're, a lot of people buy these lots because they're just wanting to put a cabin on it or they're just wanting it to have a plot of land to use and know they don't need to pay any fees for camping. It's just theirs. And it will grow in value and they make an investment on it, of course, too, down the road if they ever want to sell it. But um, agricultural will be a lot of these farm lots that I'm looking at. But it's not the same as Greenbelt. So Greenbelt is also a type of zoning. And let me explain what that is. So Greenbelt is where you're getting a, a, a major tax deduction. Because, I mean... At least when I talked with my mom about it, when she heard me talking about Greenbelt, she's like, oh, that's like parks and places because there's an incentive that the government is trying to give to people um, and even they even invest into their own land that they buy for parks and land and places to be and um, that will keep the area beautiful and green. And with if you are a Greenbelt and you own your property and it is zoned as Greenbelt, it will be a tax deduction for you. So, for example, the minimum you need for a green belt is 5.5 acres. They're looking at really just 5 acres, but they know you need 0.5 to have enough for your own house and your own little yard and living space. But the rest of it, you the 5 acres, is for you producing and that's why this isn't always for everyone because there is some management that you have to do with being on green belt because you need to be producing half the amount um, of what that lot can do. So for example, like I was saying, you need an acre per head in cattle. Let's say I have 5.5 acres, half of the half, a half acre is devoted to my house and the, the greenhouse and the little yard. But then five acres is devoted to the cattle and having um, an orchard and I grow some crop off of that. And um, I also I also raise like four cattle. Um, you only need to show in receipts that you have produced five, uh, sorry, one half of what that lot could do. So that's what's nice is you could still use the other half for whatever you want. And then the other half is going to be for um, for making some money, making a little bit of business for you. At least for me, my goal is to just have it pay for itself because this is something I would love to do. Um, and it's going to take some money to just invest into whatever the next thing is, to buy the hives, to buy the tractor I'd like, a small tractor, to buy, like I said, the greenhouse, those things. And it would be nice to have a little bit of the business side to it so I can make a little bit of money. 
and especially if you have the irrigation to be growing that the crop out there and they can just eat those cows can just eat and they're just it's just could be easy <laughs> I may be not thinking clearly that this is easy because it's not necessarily easy but knowing that you can make this happen and be able to um provide about half of what it is and they only come out and really make you prove it every five years from what I talked to her the girl at the county every five years they're not on your on your back about it every year but you will need to every five years prove it that you are making some money off that and keeping those receipts would be critical plus it may not be worth your while as I was talking with her I mean it might be four hundred dollars of taxes per year to 40 when you are in green belt but maybe you didn't want to be worrying about making the the business of it on the side. You just don't want that to be another thing. Yeah, it's fine. It's, that's $350. Not a big deal in the scheme of things because it's also going to be a big headache if you're not ready for that. Um, plus, sometimes you have to make sure when you're buying a lot that it's not already on green belt and that you would need to assume any responsibility. And this is the weird thing. There's sometimes you would have to pay if they don't have record and it doesn't stay in green belt, you have to pay all the years back in taxes of what the owner before didn't pay. If you now have it and you, and you are staying on green belt, you, which is the craziest thing as I was asking her that I pay someone else's taxes because they were negligent and didn't keep it on green belt and didn't prove that. And so they say it's always pretty tricky. Um, but to, and, and to get on green belt takes about two years as a two year wait list. So that's kind of tricky and filing the paperwork for that. So yeah, if you want to, that's up to you. Let's move on to slopes or flat. I already explained it. It's kind of self-explanatory. So just keep that in mind for yourself. What do you want? Sometimes there's just gradual slopes, a really gentle uh, slope. But I, even for me, I'm just, I just don't want to deal with it. I just want it to be all flat. I like it that way. <laughs> okay. Lastly here, let's do HOA. Okay. Sometimes it's not as bad as you think. So main reason, one main reason people want to go out there is they don't want to deal with the fussiness of HOAs and they've had to pay a lot in the past. I'm one of them and I'll tell you my story. But sometimes they're not as bad as you think. Sometimes they are just used. There could be HOAs even in these homestead areas and communities and subdivisions. And it's only for a way to get everyone's money pulled together so they can pay for snow removal, right? So maybe it is a subdivision that is, is a county road and they've had to create that road to have all these 10, 20 acres lots over here. There's this one area in Hideaway Valley in Indianola that does this. And they only pay about $17 per month. And that also includes one big main mailbox to maintain that mailbox and to have some garbage pickup. I don't know if they had to pay a little bit to get a garb the garbage company to come out there, but they all do have cans. And it's it would be quite nice. I would pay it. It would be worth it. But sometimes they're not as good because they might have CCNRs, covenants and regulations, something like that. That's what that stand for, stands for, CCRs. And that is your typical idea of how many trees you may need on the lot to make it look pretty or the distance from the road that they're picky on and regulating you on or picky about animals you have. And it, yeah, that's that main reason why people don't want a homestead, uh, do want a homestead. They don't want an HOA. And this may even be the case for some of these um, lots that maybe are a subdivision or area mainly for cabins because sometimes people still want to have a beautiful area because they are they have cabins and they want that area still to look pretty and they will have a stricter HOA even for that cabin area. Um, but like I've talked about before, you don't necessarily want to be in a cabin area necessarily. It doesn't create that community feel. So I'm trying to steer steer clear from those areas that are more like cabins, um, like uh, Fruitland, right? There's just tons of lots that come up and properties that come up over there. But I just know I'll be going over there and my neighbors, I'll never see them. And it doesn't feel like there's a community necessarily. It's just people coming in and out and just trying to play. I'm um, not necessarily what I want. And a lot of times those lots don't have irrigation either. It's And it's not the farmland anymore. It's more on those hills too. So I think all around I'm getting getting to where I need to go because <laughs> I know I don't want 
hills. I want flat. I want irrigation and I want more of a community. So let me tell you though, about my story of my HOA. We, um, a couple stories. We go into buying our house that we currently have now thinking it would be $35 per month. And that's what it said on the listing. And we asked the realtor and this is just part of that due diligence we didn't do. And then when we go to sign, they said it was 65 per month. And we're like, what the heck? You know, it's, it's not going to break us, but still $30, $30 more from what we just expected. It's more of the principle of it that we were being slighted, I feel like. But um, it was also just the reason behind it of why we had to pay the extra $30 per month is because we are on a driveway that goes a little bit further back. And so we have I have a house in front of me, and I ha- but I still have my own little driveway that I go up to my house. And they charge us an extra $30 per month just because of that driveway for the snow removal in the winter. Crazy. <laughs> then they, they honestly only plow it probably four times. There have been times where there are storms that happen and they don't actually come get it. They just do all the normal roads. And I'm like, this really sucks. <laughs> um, and also we, we also had quite a bit of a fight with the HOA at one point because of our driveway they didn't maintain it. It looked, it was just all broken up. It was so rugged and it, it had all the pebbly pieces on top. So we thought, okay, if we're really going to be paying this much, and my husband did more of the fight. I didn't. I let him do it, but he thought, and he, he ended up getting what he needed of getting them to replace that whole driveway. But they had to bring out the, the, um, the cat and just get all that old um the old cement out they could put on pour on brand new cement and now it looks way better and they're actually maintaining it I think over the years of putting the salt on there really broke it up but my husband stopped paying our HOA fee for about a year (laughs) he said you guys aren't doing this so I'm not going to pay and he kept badgering them to do that and they just went it, and it wasn't until he actually said, I'm just not paying that they actually made some things happen and they um, came out and did it. So I'm grateful for him for fighting that battle because my kids couldn't really use that driveway to ride their little bikes on. What is nice about having this driveway a little bit further back is I I feel okay about them playing out there and there's not a road that can scare me with the cars going by. And the, that road isn't that busy, but sometimes people do fly on by faster than they should. I'm not a Karen, I promise. <laughs> I just, I just think the things should be out as they should. You know, it's especially paying that much more, and probably their money is just sitting there and not being used for people that really should deserve it. Anyway, let's move on. Now that we're done with the miscellaneous category, we're onto the house. So let's talk about custom build, manufactured home, or. Um, the other random ones like a barn dominium or a shed house or a build it yourself kit or something. So, and we'll do pros and cons for each, except for that last one because th- those vary. So, just for these two, the pros and cons of your custom build or your own manufactured home. Okay. So, a pro for b- having a custom build is is it's your own design, right? This is just fun and beautiful to be able to be the mastermind of it. Of course, you pay for someone to engineer all those plans, and that will cost thousands of dollars you know, one to whatever thousand dollars, depending on how big of the place it is. And you could be in better control of the quality of what's going on with your home when it is custom built. And, um, you can customize it to what you want in your area and even the climate better for your area or this, whatever weather is going on for you. So it's just, this is the huge pro. It's yours. It's exactly the way you want it. Nothing like it. It would be cool right? But the con is you need about 20 to 30 sub subcontractors to come out and do that custom build for you, right? There's a drywaller, there's the foundation guy, there's the electrician, there's the plumber, there's the cabinetry guy. There's just so many subcontractors and it, it, I've just, I used to do, I used to do coaching and I still do, of course, but I haven't in a little while since I've put the, the business to the side, but, um, I talked, I had a, I had a client one time that she was just, it was such a headache for her having to do this custom build. And when someone doesn't come on time, cause a lot of times they don't want to come out far away to a place to do that one job, unless you're paying them a lot. So you're going to pay more for some of these people to come out. Um, and when they don't come out on time, then the next person can't do their job. 
for example, like if the drywaller is ready to do it, but they haven't actually done the framing and all that because they haven't come out yet, then the drywaller can't come out on this date that you agreed on. And of course, the your contractor, you'd have to pay most likely hire a contractor to be the master person over the whole project. Some people are their own contractor um, and they just do it themselves and they can save a good amount of money on that. Um, but they they make sure to get those contractors there on time and they have their own way to talk them into that and make sure it gets happened. And of course, you are paying them so they you they need to do their job and they're expected to be that person that gets things done in a timely manner, but it doesn't always happen. Especially with COVID that happened, but now things are better and the supply chain is is crazy. And like I said, you're just way out there. It's harder to get that particular cabinetry guy out there to do what he needs. <laughs> you're going to be further out, right? It's more expensive, takes a long time, and you have to hire a contractor. So all those things together, it makes it a little harder. That's why I lean towards manufactured homes. Yay! <laughs> so these are, like when I thought of manufactured homes, I thought of like those mobile homes right? In those mobile home parks. Yes, that is a type of manufactured home, but that is um, only a, a single wide. And whereas manufactured homes are double wide, that being said, that means you're splitting the house down the middle. And then they, if you ever see on the roads or those huge homes that are on those semis that are being rolled to the place where it needs to go, there are actually two of them because you're going to put them together and right down the middle is going to be where they stitch together. And so mobile homes are when it's just the one single and it is even smaller in length, not just width. Um, but with the manufacturer home, you're going to have a good amount of width plus your, depending how long you, wide you want to, or sorry, long you want to go. Um, but it's, they are, they are built pretty well and they are still really pretty inside. And it's, they're built off site. They're not built at the actual, your actual lot, like these custom stick builds are. Um, and they're done at a big warehouse at one time to save time and money, you know, over a course of two months, right? Depending. Um, so all those workers come to this big warehouse and you can see some of these videos online that show that. And the, some of the pros for that is it's cheaper right? It's when you have all that done together at one point, you're able to get kind of a warehouse price because it's done in a warehouse. <laughs> so that the price per square foot is cheaper. Get to choose your style and that format you want. Sometimes they can help you alter certain areas if you want. For example, there's a particular um, manufactured home that I like, but it's um, plan there's one wall I want to knock down and just have that be more open space because I'm really all about this open concept I just really want to put all the open concept in one area and then just the bedrooms on the sides might as well and they have great options and floor plans and they they they're beautiful inside there could be a lot of upgrades that you could do and you go take go take a look at a at a real retailer at around you somewhere so you can get an idea but some of the cons is sometimes people think they look cheesy because they're more of a box when you look outside. They could still have a pitched roof rather than the manufactured or sorry the mobile homes that are flat roof cube, but they could still have that pitched ceiling and have some vault to it so you can have a little bit more of a, um, a house look to it. And of course, that outside um, exterior can be upgraded. Um, but it may not be exactly to your liking sometimes, like a custom would be. Um, but that's okay, because you can find something that can work for you. I'm sure some you'll be somewhere along the lines happy. Um, they do say sometimes the quality is not as good, but they have come a long way. So do your due diligence. I've been looking into that, and there will be some upgrades I will have to do in order to get the insulation that I want. If I'm going to be in further out, it's going to be colder, so I'm going to need six inch from my exterior to that drywall and that insulation in there rather than four inches and that's going to be an upgrade but that's okay because it's going to be it it's going to be worth it um and here's um another thing is you have to pay sales tax on it you're it's like you're going and buying a candy bar you know you have to pay 25 cents on that sales tax 
out of a two or three dollar candy bar, you're gonna have to pay thousands of dollars on your sales tax for that home, right? But think about it this way that idea of sales tax is rolled in when you are doing your custom bill or your cookie cutter houses when you buy them here in the cities, okay? It's all included. There's gonna be sales tax in that situation. Here, it's just more, it's just seen more. <laughs> so it seems like it hurts a lot. Um, they also just don't hold their value as much as a stick build. It's just what everyone knows. They, they, I don't know if that will change at some point. I think it should because I think, and they, they still can be sold. There's, they still get sold all the time. There's one in Snowville at the very top border of Idaho and Utah that um, there was a manufactured home there. But, um, and it wasn't selling for a little while, but then it did get sold. So they do get sold. And it was, I was considering it. It looked great. But I didn't necessarily want to move into a house that I didn't feel like was mine. Um, there are sometimes a half, and a lot of times, I'm not sure exactly how much, but a general rule of thumb, it's going to be somewhat of a percentage higher on your loan. And one one number I found is the half percent higher for your loan. So right now, loans are going for five 5.6, so you're going to have to be at 6.1 for your loan. So that kind of hurts a little bit, but I think overall you're saving a lot of money and you're getting more land in general. You're putting your money towards the land, um, but make sure to find the right builder. And let me explain a little bit to you about the difference between the brands and the retailers. So they're, for manufactured homes, when you go to these places, you're going to go to a real t- re- retailer and they have a bunch of different brands, maybe, on their site. Sometimes a retailer really just likes one brand. Um, for example, in Utah, there's a place called Carefree Homes, Elite Housing, and Luxury Homes. And these are all the ones I liked, and these are local retailers in Utah. But the brands of manufactured homes in Utah are what they carry. They carry champion style. They carry the champion brand of manufactured homes at Luxury Homes. And I really like that one. And um, there's also a brand called Marlette. They they build theirs in Oregon. The Champion Ones builds theirs in Idaho. And Kit Builders, I don't know, is another one, but I don't know where they are, where they build, where their warehouses are. But honestly, I think it would it would be still be hard, um, harder to find a lot. As I explained this, why I put this towards the end, it's I feel like it's a harder battle to find your lot than it is to do the actual home. It's still going to be really hard, trust me, and doing all the utilities, make sure it all works and things are going to go and planned or you may have to wait longer sometimes because things will come up. Um, but I just feel like the land is more of a wild card. And um, so be patient on finding that right piece of land because, of course, then when you, as you're handing money to people, you're really going to get what you want when you hand money to people, right, <laughs> with your manufactured home or with getting these utilities done. And it's not as much of a wild card. And um, it's, you just will see when you get there, of course. You, you'll you be able to really hand over the money to get that propane tank. You'll really be able to hand over that money to do the well. Um, just be smart about your lot. As you talk about homes, it's really fun and exciting, but the lot is really important. But these this last ca- category is barn dominiums, shed houses, and build-it-yourself kits. I've looked into those, but barn dominiums just aren't as popular in Utah. Um, I think they can make smaller barn dominiums, but they're more popular in Texas or in the South somewhere because they don't need as much air conditioning or heat. It's more of an average yearly temperature, whereas Utah, there's such a dramatic difference. There's honestly a hundred degree difference from the highest to the lowest temperature. It's huge. It's crazy. Our weather is extreme. Um, Shed houses are sometimes popular if you really want to be somewhere a little smaller. People can really make those nice, and they could be so much cheaper. And, of course, it's kind of like uh, the small house movement that was going on for a while there. That's part of that, I feel like. Do-it-yourself kits. Or if you want to order a kit and you kind of build the house yourself, you're probably going to still have to hire some help because you may not be an electrician. Um, but there's just so many resources on YouTube. So let's go into budgeting. Yay! So these are all ish numbers, right? So for me, I'm looking for my lot no more than 200000 I really would like one for 150 
175,000, right? And it's, I though those $200,000 lots come up, it's because it's a nice five acre parcel with, with the water shares and some power nearby. And it's just all the more of the ducks are in a row. So there's, there's always that component to that. The reason it has a higher value is because it's easier. There's, there are 10 acre lots out in the middle, like I've said, in the middle of Ballard, Utah for 10,000 grand for 10 grand. And there's a reason <laughs> it's just the location is everything. Um, now for your home, for some of these manufactured homes, I'm looking at for, I'm hoping to get a two, a two bathroom, four bedroom home, about 2000 square feet. I'm looking at 210,000 to 240,000 because of, of the sales tax already included and probably some upgrades I'll will want. Um, and then an optional garage. I'm thinking you could buy your actual garage for the side. I don't think they really attach them. Something with the coating of manufactured homes can't have it actually attached to your manufactured home, but you just have this small breezeway in between. So yeah, it would be great to have it right there and attached, but it's part of the coating. I don't think it, they can. Don't quote me on it, but I really tried to ask the one particular guy and he was pretty certain that's part of the coating that you will have to buy your own separate little section in part of these manufactured home places, they do have, some of them do have these garages that you can get for twenty to 35000 um, But things are starting to add up. There's foundation work, leveling the land, maybe three grand, probably more if you're in a rockier area. The cement to lay that foundation, twenty-seven grand was what one guy quoted me for what I was thinking. Probably for you, make that a ballpark up to thirty grand. Um, utilities <clears throat> for culinary, it'll be, um, depending on how it'll depend on how much that hookup will be you to hook into the system. There's just a fee where I looked at a lot. It was $2,500 for the well, for a well, here's where it gets a little trickier. Wells can be, um, 20 to 40 grand total. So that's a lot to get your water compared to doing your own, to doing the culinary hookup. Hook but like I said, if you're getting a great deal on a lot, maybe there's this one that I like that's 120 and it even comes with a lot of shares, but it, it, it could give me that, that amount to put towards the well. And wells can be one, one way to calculate it is when I talked to the guy for the well yesterday, he said it was $135 per square foot, sorry, per foot, not square foot. Um, and these wells need to be at least a hundred feet. He says they need to be at least hundred feet and some places. Yeah, they hit hundred feet and they're good. They have the water and you'll know talking with the people around your area of how deep the water needs to be in general. It'll kind of be the same where you are in your area. However, like I've said before, they, there's some areas that it's obviously maybe the world is kind of showing like you shouldn't live up here necessarily because it's just way too hard to get the water. But I think it's so beautiful how it's so remote. Um, when I went up there, I was like, wow, it really feels like you were in nature. That's 500 feet to dig down or further. <laughs> um, but that's kind of what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, that range of 100 to 500 feet um, deep. I'm guessing mine will be way better than 500 feet if I'm going for farmland. Um, power is a wild card. Maybe a few thousand if nearby, just trying to hook in because maybe you're, you have a neighbor that has his 10 acres and then you're buying your 10 acres over here and then you just kind of link it on over and there will take some um, mechanics to make that happen and that might be three three grand or up to 30 grand if, and you'll need to bring it all the way from miles away. The power company will do it for you and then they'll bill you. So that's kind of spendy. Now your septic, your septic tank and install. This is what I got from thisoldhouse.com because I, I thought before I don't have a good number on this because it could range an $8,000 average of getting that tank and installed to your house and making sure that it's going out to the right septic field area for you. And they said eight grand is the average. You know, it could be more, it could be less. Um, and 
of course, having to do the, the whole dig up for it as well. That is included in there. Um, for the gas, you'll need a maybe a, t a thousand gallon tank, and that'll be about forty six hundred. I talked to an actual guy; these are his, these were his pr pricings, forty six hundred dollars for that tank. So you see those big white tanks; they're on the side of some of these houses, a little bit away, because it should not be right next to your house. <laughs> there has to be some space. I think that's part of the coating. Um, and sometimes they'll charge for that delivery fee of getting it to your place, or you can go pick it up yourself with your own truck or whatever. Um, a $500 hookup is what he told me, but then there's going to be trench work that needs to be done to the house. And I have question marks right there because I don't know how much, but other fees in general you're looking at is a roll on fee. So the manufacturer home people will bring the house to you. That's part of actually the cost a lot of times. They'll say, we will deliver anywhere within 100 miles or whatever their area. Um, if it's further than that, they may do so much per mile that they'll charge you. But they don't They don't include into your price that you actually sit down and make your purchase for that manufactured home of 110 grand or 210 grand. They may have to get it onto the foundation because the foundation's already done. You have that already done before, and there's going to be an order of things. But to get it on there and get it all into the footings right, it's going to be about 3000 is what he was saying. The guy at the at the place that I looked at. Um, impact fee could also be something you might be charged. So impact fee, this is, I was pretty bummed about this one. Seven to 15 grand impact fee is... Um, you move into an area impacts the area, it impacts the roads. That's all I can think of is it impacts the roads. And that's why I'm kind of frustrated with it. Like what else do I impact? Like I don't, it's part of the taxes of it all. I just think it's silly, but there's probably more to it. I, that was the only thing I thought would be any justification on it, but that's just part of any new house that comes in. They have to pay an impact fee. Because you're impacting the city or county. <laughs> permits, you'll need about three grand to, or more or less. That's a ballpark. These permits of actually doing these builds. And you can't just go and build anything. I think everyone knows that. Engineering plans, about 500. Because a lot of that engineering has already been done on the house. They've already engineered the house itself. Now it's engineering how the utilities are, are all going to work and all the stitch work into the house. And that's why it's a little bit cheaper. It's only 500. So it's good to hear that something's cheaper. <laughs> and I just think it'd be great to have an extra money area. So I'm sure you'll need it. You'll just need a, an extra category for money. And I mean, altogether, I'm looking at 450, 500 grand, um, for this whole project, living on at least five acres with a 2000 square foot home. And you'd think that isn't, by the world standards, that's not living the life. But for me, it is. And I'm so excited for it. I've put, I'll be putting the money into the land. Of course, I put some money into having a brand new little house there, even if it's just a manufactured house. And some people don't see that as all that great. But some people really do and think it's great. And I do. And I love looking in those homes. They're, what's great about it is knowing that it's all new. It's all new stuff. If I can make sure to get good quality on that, that would be great. So I just kind of wanted to share with you this last story because we're, we're, we're done. We've gotten through this. I'm so excited. We, you guys understand and you can go on your way. Um, there'll be more that you'll learn and maybe things you can even teach me and write in the comments. But um, one story I had of another, I didn't share earlier that I realized why I wanted to do this is I am part of a community garden in my neighborhood. So we have a lot that is just for this community garden. And I have a, a six by six bed where I can do my gardening. And it's just so fun. I think it's a three by six bed. Sorry. And it's just so fun. And I've been doing it for about four or five years. And that community feeling and doing it all together with people. And I get to have some of the spoils of some of the community beds that aren't for just people that have their own. Um, and there's a whole herb bed where there's these perennial herbs that come back every year, like sage and and there's cilantro and there's basil. It's just so fun to be able to have that so I don't have to have my own basil, or sorry, my own herb garden on my own to upkeep when I don't always use that much of it. 
and even some raspberries over there. My girls just go and pick those raspberries and just eat them and right off the, the bush. And there was one, this was before I really realized I wanted to do this about three or four years ago that I really wanted to make this possibility. I always thought, oh yeah, somewhere in the future. I didn't even think of it. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's actually make this happen. Cause right now this isn't my forever home and I need, I'm going to need a lot of time to figure this out. But I had this moment when I was doing some gardening and it was twilight time and the mountain is right there and it's beautiful Timpanogos and seeing pretty much doing its whole purple mountains majesty thing where it was purple (laughs) it was beautiful um with the way that the sun laid on it in that twilight time and I thought to myself this is what I want this is the life and I'm hearing my kids laughing and being happy and running around and I'm in the ground, I'm working the soil, I'm having the fun of my own tomatoes and things. And I was talking with someone just a little bit ago that owns another bed over here. And I just thought, this is what I want. I am so happy here. I'm so happy being in this kind of environment. This is what I want. And then from there, I just knew, I just, I captured that feeling. So try and capture that feeling for you, whatever it is. Because nature is is just right outside your door, of course, wherever you're at. Unless you're in the concrete jungle of the urban, urban cities. But even that, there's nature somewhere. Um, But he will guide you where you need to go. And that's going to be really exciting to help you figure out where that is. He's guiding me already. And I'm putting my trust in him and trying to be patient. So try and be patient with yourself. Reach out if you have any questions, but I wish you the best on your journey to figure this all out, and good luck, my friend. I hope you have a great rest of your day.